Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about old stuff and education and uh, books and stuff we feel like talking about. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined, as always, by Mr. A.J. Hannenberg hey. and Mr. Graham Donaldson. Hello. All right. So we are moving on to uh, book 10 of uh of plato's republic we did today. it we did it yeah, we, we are now in like such vaunted territory as uh friends friends had 10 seasons oh, my did word. you all know that friends had 10 seasons really uh, they had 10 seasons beverly hills 90210 had 10 seasons um wow. and so did smallville small i don't know are you serious I'm just smallville looking, 10 I'm, seasons smallville man i had no like, idea it lasted it, that one so much interest is added to me about that show about the one character who became part of a cult hmm Huh. Oh, like yeah, a leader yeah, yeah. of a cult? In real life? That's yeah, crazy. Yeah. That crazy. Wait, yeah. that's a thing? Nexium, yeah. right? Wasn't that what called? I don't know. Some sort of like weird New York, New York City cult. I think Nexium yeah. is a cryptocurrency, right? Isn't that? No, no. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, Who cool. knows? So, AJ, can you give us like a brief recap of one through nine? <laughs> it's been oh, six months or so. <laughs> so, so I will do my best to recap. Uh, I actually no, I looked back joking. on book nine just oh. to see just to see if I could give a recap. Mm-hmm. So it begins with uh, Socrates and his and his boys, and they're hanging out before they go off to see sort of a, a horse race, right? Mm-hmm. And they yep. get chatting, and they get chatting about who is better, the unjust who can do whatever they want or the just right who's got a better deal who's got a better deal and so for the sake of argument they say okay let's say that you have a perfectly just man who has the reputation of injustice and you have a perfectly unjust man who has a reputation for justice Mm -hmm. and see if they actually like devoid of all of the accolades that usually come with either if internally it's a better system and so they launch into this argument and they go into okay well to understand the inner workings of a man, it'd be easy to understand the inner, like look at it at a macro level, right? Mm-hmm. Understand the inner workings of a state and see if we can't compare the two. And so they come up with the three parts of man, right? You have the appetites, you have the will, and you have the intellect. And that justice is the harmony between those three parts doing their correct functions. Mm-hmm. So intellect at the top and via its will kind of forcing itself on the emotions, right? Mm-hmm. Making the emotions go where they should go and everything is run by your intellect. Um, there are some modern thinkers who think that, oh man, it's like a flea trying to drive an elephant, right? Because your emotions are the thing that driver, that are driving the whole bus. True. But Plato thought that that, that that still doesn't mean that he's wrong, right? Maybe that flea should be driving that mm-hmm. elephant. Um, so then we talk about the different types of government. We end up talking about, uh, do you guys remember the, the forms oh, of man. government? Timmy and uh, there's a timocracy, like, uh, the rule by the, I think the timocracy is ruled spirited. by the, the glory, the yeah. warri- gl- glorious warriors. I just there's, remember us being like oddly prescient about. There's the philosopher <laughs> king, oh, right? So, uh, He's the best. Yeah. So we start with philosopher king and then it goes we move to... to glorious, right? Okay. The, what happens is the, the warriors get so much glory and mm-hmm. then they think they should be in charge. And then democracy? No, we move to an oligarchy. Okay. Uh, rule of. The small rich, right? Okay. Is that an no, oligarchy? There's the aristocracy, wasn't there? That's the first one. Oh, okay. Aristocracy is rule of the best. Yeah. And then there's yeah. the rule of the glorious. And, and then there's, there's the rule of the, of the wealthy. And then democracy. we go to democracy. And then we go all the way down eventually to tyranny. And tyranny is the worst. Was there not like a rule of the jacked, like the spirited? That's, that's, that's democracy. democracy. Oh, okay. Tyranny. Democracy, yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like we're missing one. There's... Dimitri, that was democracy. Mm-hmm. And then there's uh, Tyrone, which mm-hmm. is tyranny. Yeah. Right. So democracy always. I'm impressed you remember that. Democracy always devolves into tyranny. And we yeah. spent the last few chapters looking at what co- those kind of people look like. That's so, right. what does a person who is ruled well look like? What does the democratic man look like? Mm-hmm. And he looks like one who is like taught by his dad the good virtues, but doesn't 
Then he gets some friends and he's like, all right, well, these pleasures are kind of sweet. So he has a little bit of a mix of both, but he still kind of admire, he admires the, the good pleasures and, mm-hmm. and virtues and so tempers himself. And his kid is not taught those same values. His kid is Tyrone and his kid decides that, man, his dad has some pleasures. I'm going to get me some of that and just falls all the way into full debauchery. And then it paints the picture of the tyrant, the tyrant, and how he has no friends about him because they all yeah. fear him, and eventually he has to kill them all. Um, how you he know is it, totally you... bloodthirsty, ruled by his passions, has no uh, good inner life. It's just a terrible way to be. Yeah. Before you know it, you've appointed your horse to the Senate. Yep. You know what's happened? Yes. Emperor Caligula. Yeah. What? He, so Emperor yes. Caligula, he was an emperor of Rome, and he was so bazonkers, and thought that the Senate was a big joke and he wanted to show that the Senate was a big joke. So he appointed his horse to be a Senator and it actually sat in the Senate. And I, I don't yep. know if it passed anything I besides <laughs> what horses naturally pass. Like, Terrence, well what do you think? Well <laughs> but the horse he had reads. a name, the horse had a name like on the official list of the Senate, like his name is there. Did they take roll? Please tell me it responded when they <laughs> <Yeah>. take roll. <laughs> <laughs> it only voted nay whenever. It came <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't I see that? It was That's right good. there. Well, well done, Graham. Uh, what good. a way to start, our, start off a podcast. Okay, so we just finished talking about Tyrone and that kind of draws basically to a conclusion the whole thing. Okay. Book nine kind of finishes the argument. They've yep. shown that the virtuous life is the best life. Okay. No matter what people think of you, you have inner harmony, yep. right? You are mm-hmm. not driven by your passions. You are master of your own ship, and there's all kinds of good things. If you want to go back and listen to those episodes, you can. You should. If you're on YouTube, we've probably set up a little playlist where you can listen to all 10 in order. Maybe. Maybe. You're probably sitting here on hour 10 just being like, <laughs> what are they talking I about? I did this. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, just like straight through, like, like watching Lord of the Rings, like... Just reading, back reading along, yeah. cramming, cramming for your Play-Doh <laughs> final in college yeah, is probably oh what's gosh. happening. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> and then Play-Doh talked about a guy named Tyrone. And then <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this one is kind of like an epilogue and it's a two-part epilogue, right? Okay. The first part has to do finally with kind of Plato establishing his world of forms, which I feel like we've taken out of context, in, mm. in all honesty. We've blown out of proportion. Like us three? Like the world <laughs> no. in, at large. He, you, he talks. you did this. <laughs> I, I mean, maybe he talked a little bit more about it with his divided line, but it seems to me that he doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about this crazy heaven full of the world of forms. It's not... Mm-hmm. It's. It seems to me that this is this book is less about that. Mm-hmm. He talks. He's actually addressing his rule about imitative poetry and why we should keep those dang poets out of the state. Hmm. Um, and then his final years. epilogue, <laughs> weirdly enough, is a defense of the immortality of the human soul. Yeah, naturally. And the eternal benefits of being a virtuous man. Wow, that that's quite a way to end the book. Yeah, I know it's yeah. kind of big. All right, so let's start with the beginning. He starts off by saying, you know what. Now that we're done with the convo, I got to say that my favorite rule is the rule against imitative poetry, because those guys are a bunch of donkey-brained wow. idiots, right? They, it's not can good. We, can we watch the language, please? This is a family Donkey friend. brains? Yeah. Whoa, hey, whoa, buddy. Whoa, whoa AJ, <laughs> come on. Uh, but so apparently, sorry. if you have horse brains, you're a senator. <laughs> you could so be a senator. <laughs> you could exactly be a senator. Right. Um, so he says... Yeah, it's all of these poetical imitations are ruinous to the hearers, and that only the knowledge of their true nature is the antidote to all of this nasty, terrible poetry that's out there, all this imitative poetry. And so they're like, okay. Wait, can we just back back up a little bit? What was the what was his deal against why he didn't like imitative poetry? Uh, he thought that it was. Oh well, we're about to go into it. Oh, I thought we, but he did talk about it. In he like talked about it briefly. Yeah. Now he is going to give sort of a full defense of why he thinks poets are hacks. All right. Okay. Okay. 
I'm excited. So first, tell me, what's an imitation? When you try and make something like something else. You try to make something look like something else or yeah. be something else, but it's not. Okay, so let's say, and he's like, okay, so let's talk about what an imitation is. Like a derivative. Yeah. Let's say that there are, let it, he says, let us take a common instance. There are beds and tables in the world. Plenty of them. Okay. Are there not? Can you deny the existence of beds and tables? We cannot, Socrates. How can there be otherwise? Yeah. Uh, but there are only two ideas of, or forms of them. One, the idea of a bed, and one, the idea of a table. And the other guy just goes, true. I don't think he knows what he's talking about. And he says, and the maker of either of them makes a bed or he makes a table for our use in accordance with that idea. So when a carpenter sits down to make a bed or a table, mm -hmm. he is pulling from the original idea of bed, right? Is it the function of bed or is it, or is it an idea of bed? Like, it, like, is he specifically thinking it is a place where someone sleeps or is he saying I would bed? say the function is in essence, with the idea, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the idea of bed is that someone sleeps on it. Okay. That's, that's in the idea. But no artificer, no carpenter made the idea himself. Mm -hmm. No one is like, you know what? Bed from nowhere, right? A mm -hmm. bed is a bed is a bed, and it's been a bed forever. Um, and so there must be another artist, the guy who came up with the idea in the first place. Mm -hmm. You could call him the first artist, and he is the maker of all the works of all other workmen, right? Workmen are making essentially reproductions of ideas, and there's one guy who made all the ideas. You with me so far? Okay. I am. Is there a reason there has to be that first? He's saying that for, like, there's a first person who thought up a bed, or he's no, no, saying no. there's a there's first a, person I, who There's who an idea everything. of beds, right. and so he's the one who created sort of that first essence of all things, yeah. and this is essentially God. Let me right. read you the little section so on God, it. So God, when God made everything... He also made this idea of, he made the world of ideas before he made the world of matter? I guess, just stay with me a little bit, and then we can talk okay. about the actual effic efficacy of this idea, or legitimacy of this idea. So he says, wait a little, and there's more reason for saying so. <laughs> okay. For this is he who is able to make not only vessels of every kind, but plants and animals, himself and all other things, the earth and heaven, and the things which are in heaven or under the earth, he makes the gods also. And the guy goes, he must be a wizard. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Yeah. Quote, he must be a wizard okay. and no mistake. Oh, there you go. He um, can make himself? Yeah. That's some theology okay. foul right there. He says, and Socrates says, oh, you're, you're not a believer? You mean that there's no such maker or creator or that in one sense there might be a maker of all these things, but in another not? Do you not see there's a way in which you could make them all yourself? Uh -oh. Do you guys know that I know for a fact that both of you could also make all things. What? Yeah. I can't make you all things. You know this for a fact? I know for an absolute fact. How? That we can make all things? You can make all things. Because someone has made it's it before? Really it's, it's a riddle here. You, oh. Can you guys figure it out? I'll give you, it's going to seem obvious as soon as I do it. You know how you know how you do it? No. You hold a mirror yeah. and you spin around. Oh, there you go. <laughs> all of a sudden you have made all things inside the mirror in reflection. That's not true. It's not a riddle. Sure it is. You guys thought you couldn't do it. I just you just made a whole bunch of plants. You made everything. Things. I just reflect them. You is made this the imitation. Is that yeah, so? Oh, well, okay. That's kind of an imitation. But yeah. there's like the essence. Oh, but and everything says, is an imitation of that first form anyway. Yeah, and but those would be. That's what the guy says. He's like, huh. yeah, but those are appearances only. He right. says, ah, very good. What's You're coming the to the point. Definition of a riddle. <laughs> um, that is an imitation and not the real bed. Um, and so essentially, we come to the point that there are three beds. There is one existing in nature made by God. 
um, for no one else can be the maker. Because if he was making it after a different idea, that original person would be the maker. You with me? Yes. The second level is the work of the carpenter, someone who takes that idea and makes an imitation of the idea in real life. The third level is the painter, who looks and makes an imitation or an appearance of that thing, but not the actual thing. So he hates poets and artisans because they're doing, they're like two standards of deviation away from the real thing. Yeah, they're in extra ways away from them. So, and then he says, there's only one single idea. And you know how, how he can say there's only one single idea of bed? Something about a mirror. Oh, no, it's because if he made two, then he would be making those after some other original idea was sure. the source for those two things. Okay. So there has to be one original idea for bed. Yeah. Otherwise, like there would be one, it's, it's like a, you'd be one order removed from that, right? Sure. Um, so that's, that's where he gets his notion from, right? If I make two of something, I must be using some other original idea. So the original idea had to come from somewhere and this he calls God or essence or nature, right? Sure. Gotcha. Um, and so he is would be the author of all things. He created a bed which is essential and in nature only. Um, so third in the descent from nature is an imitator. And a tragic poet is also an imitator. Wait, so Plato doesn't make any differentiation between naturally occurring things and things that human beings do? So like a tree has a form, but a bed also has a form? Yes. Huh. Interesting. Like it's, it's kind of like an idea, right? A, yeah. a tree is a thing made after an original and then... Mm-hmm. A bed is also a thing sort of made after an original. But there's nothing different. that different, differentiates it because it is produced by human beings, whereas a tree is, is generating itself. Sure. Okay. I mean, we can also like make changes to the ways that trees grow. We can be That's selective true. and yeah, we yeah. can, you know, plant okay. and cultivate and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. He says pretty much the imitator is a long way off the truth. He can do all things because he lightly touches on a small part of them, right? Because he only views them from one angle. Mm-hmm. And he will what he will get will be a portion of the truth, but not the real thing, actually. Gotcha. And that part will be an image. For example, a painter can paint a cobbler or a carpenter, and he will sh- show like what they're doing, but he has no idea what they're actually doing. And mm-hmm. he'll deceive simple people who also don't know about those things, but not the people who actually know. For example, like to bring it into modern day, if you guys watch action movies... Right. Yes. Somebody gets stabbed in the back and dies instantly. Right. If you don't know anything about actual warfare, you'd be like, ah, yes, he must have hit the artery. And that man is instantly dead from being stabbed. Mm -hmm. If you know anything about war, that doesn't happen. Right. If you even if you get stabbed in the heart, you've got what, four minutes before all of your blood kind of before it stops going to my brain before it stops going to your brain or at least you run out of brain oxygen. Right. Right. You it will take a while if you get stabbed in the gut. That's a four hour injury. Mm. Right. So. That's horrifying. This is right. horrifying. And nobody wants to see that. No. But but like the imitator, the filmmaker, knows enough about it to fool people who don't know huh. that much about how wounds happen, right? Yeah. Or have you ever seen something in a movie where you're like, that's not the way it happens. Right. For example, one of my favorites is uh, they do a pottery scene. I hate to bring it back to pottery again, but they do ghost? a pottery scene. We're talking scene. about ghost. We're ta- not ghost. Oh, okay. Actually, uh. funny enough, in ghost, they do a pretty good job. Oh. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about in Karate Kid 3. Oh, man. Nope. Uh, Ooh, the one with the girl. The one with the girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has like these motions where she does pottery and they end up being karate motions. Mm-hmm. Those motions would never be used in mm-hmm. pottery. That's and funny. if you did, you would ruin your pot. Was, like, it, was Miyagi in that one? Uh, was Mr. Miyagi in Karate Kid 3? I feel like he wasn't. Wasn't it the same girl that was in like a million, millionaire baby? Million dollar baby? Oh, um, um, Dame Judi Dench? No. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Hillary Swank. Hillary, Hillary Swank. Swank. I think it was Hillary Swank. It's not a good movie. 
Um, Karate, Karate Kid Part Three or Million Dollar Baby? Yeah, Million Dollar oh. Baby won great, won Best Picture. Best Picture. Right? Yeah. So anyway, I mean, like that's me. He fools all these children and simple people when he shows them the picture of the carpenter, because but he doesn't. Because it's not really... It's not really what's happening. Right. And he doesn't actually know how things are put together and how the tools are used and what what's actually working. And he says, if anyone comes and says, like, he's found someone who knows all the arts, everything, he can paint all things, he's so wise, when really it's poor, it's probably more likely that what he's found is someone who can imitate those things, who doesn't have full wisdom, who doesn't have all these things, but can do a good enough imitation to fool the dum-dums, right? So what would Plato say that people who are depicting pictures are not doing it to try to depict things naturally. Like, they're not trying to be realistic, but they're saying something other using the vehicle of a carpenter. So, yeah, okay, fine. You drew a picture of a carpenter, and his tools aren't really the types of tools that you would use for the project that's depicted in the painting. But he wants to talk about, like, or the, the painting is is about something not being realistic, but about, like, the romance of carpentry or something. Then why not engage in the actual romance of carpentry? It's still an imitation. Hmm. I haven't produced the romance of carpentry. Because if you are, I have shown the romance of carpentry. But sometimes if you're a carpenter and you just sort of go about your business, it's not until you see somebody interpret what you do abstracted from it that you may begin to see it in a new way. But that's my it. very point, is that anyone who does carpentry knows that often there's not a lot of romance in the carpentry. Okay. Like, you're covered in wood glue, you're covered in sawdust, there are a lot of loud noises, you've got a vacuum to get up rid of all the sawdust. It's not this idyllic thing it's sweaty it's smelly it's covered in wood glue it's not it's not as romantic as that painting would depict and so not only is it showing an imitation Mm -hmm. it's an imitation of a non-reality is that plato's point of that it's both not the actual thing and it's lying in a certain sense well he so so far he has talked about painters okay he is actually the the next section is he says okay so if we hear people saying about people like Homer, that they are so wise and they know all these things, maybe there's a similar illusion happening where we give Homer the credit for being so wise, but really it's all imitation. And we, he doesn't actually know the true states of man, what it's like to be a king, what it's like to be a warrior, what all these things are like. And so we should check. Maybe right. Homer's a snake oil sal- salesman. Maybe right. he's fooling everybody. Hmm. Um, so the first question is, do you suppose if he were able to make the original as well as the image, he would devote himself to the image making branch? Like if he could be a king, why would you choose poet over king? Sure. If you were so good at being a ruler, if you were so good at being a warrior, why choose the imitation? This, yeah, uh, it's been a long time since we talked about it, but the what about art episode, this is making me think of that, of um, to look, someone who is not a king cannot look back and critique a king. They don't know the mindset. They don't understand the desire to grow a kingdom or whatever. Exactly. Is it likely that Homer the bard had any notion of what it was truly like to rule day by day? No, but if Homer was a soldier, uh, then he would know about combat or I'm guessing since he was blind, he was probably not sure. Uh, or he's a bad one. <laughs> exactly. Or, or, or he was made blind. <laughs> Throw rocks the other way. Sure. Um, yeah. Gosh darn Homer. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Homer didn't really exist, right? No, it's probably a real guy. I don't know. And then he says, the real artist who knew what he was imitating would be interested in realities and not imitations so maybe, and would desire to leave as memorials of himself works many and fair. And instead of being the author of encomiums, like talking good about other people, would prefer rather to be the theme of them. So Plato would be okay with those like insufferable modern artists that say things like, I'm doing art about being an artist. Yeah. So he would be okay with that because it's like, yes, now you're sticking to your profession. 
That's all artists know about is how to be an artist. So don't paint me a painting about carpenters. No, it's like a fourth. Do art about art. If he's wrong, if he has a problem with two derivatives, that's like four derivatives, right? Like, yeah, I was wondering what, what uh, Plato would say about like a picture of a painting in a museum and then like a Reddit post of that picture right. and then a Facebook share and then my screenshot and then and my in, showing you like this screenshot of a Reddit. And then a poem, yeah. Oh man, <laughs> like Instagram how poem, many, yeah. Homer would just be pulling his hair out. Yeah. Like so many times removed you mean Plato. from the original. Yeah, Plato. This Plato would be home pulling his hair out. But does he... Does he say anything about education or teachers in this context at all? Or is he only in the area of, it's just the same thing of like to teach the works of someone who created works like, right. Well, I'm just, I don't know if you all are connecting that or thinking that also. What do you mean? Like we are, I didn't say that, but shouldn't we be poets to talk about poetry or be authors of, we talked uh, about this on your criticism. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah having gone back through like all of our episodes to post them on YouTube has reminded me of a lot of things. So, but I just wonder, does Plato make any connection like that? Or is he only talking about a bad form of poetry? Like that we should be doing those things. I think he's saying that the imitation isn't worth the actual practice. Sure. Why write a poem about a life that you're not living? Why not go and live that life? Yeah, sure. Right. Why write about romance if you can go have romance? Yeah. For honor to be respected as a, writer of those but things going back to the pot our last week's podcast so that the thing can be immortalized forever yeah so like i you go and have romance and then you die and the romance is done but you like this is shakespeare when he writes about this in his sonnets that his love will last forever because he he immortalized it. it in poetry yeah. poetry sure plato would think that was meh, a big I think Plato would have a problem with a lot of the stuff that we teach. Oh. I mean, one of the first things we teach to ninth graders is Homer for yeah. a long that's time. True. And so, I mean, that's that's kind of the next question we mm-hmm. have. After after I get through the little argument, you guys can sort of evaluate it, right? Okay. So remember, there's two parts to this. Right. Storming. Um, the second part will be, I think, a little bit shorter. This first part is more argument and stuff. But he basically says, all right, can you guys name any states that Homer ruled well? Nope. Nope. Any battles he directed? Nope. Nope. What about, okay, so maybe he lived well. Maybe he was really wise. Yeah. What about followers? Was there any, like, homerids, the people who followed him around as a teacher? Not that I know of. No. In fact, what we what is usually said about him is that his friends neglected him while he was alive because he just wasn't that fun. So clearly his wisdom didn't extend to interpersonal relationships. Hmm. Isn't that true for Socrates also? Didn't he have a bad marriage? Yeah, he had a bad marriage. But and he, had, so, he had little little underlings that loved him. Like yes. Exactly. And there was there was at least some wisdom going <laughs> yeah, around in the who city. Who corrupted. But, <laughs> yeah, but nobody sure, followed sure. Homer around sure, the city. Sure. Yeah. And so he says... Socrates got canceled. Isn't it likely... <laughs> can't we infer that all these poetical individuals, beginning with Homer, the very top, yeah. are only imitators. They copy images of virtue and the like, but the truth they never reach. The poet is like the painter who... Will make a likeness of a cobbler, although he stands nothing of cobbling, right? And his picture is good enough for those who know no more than he does and jo- judge only by colors and figures. So we judge his wisdom mm. because we don't have any. Oh, say that last part again. So we are okay with all of the wisdom he is giving us about ruling mm. and about warriors because we don't know what it's like. That's fair. I, I, I also don't know if it's possible to have good things to say, even if you haven't yourself ruled um, I don't know. Yeah, this is a pretty narrow world. And what sort of currency does any human have with anybody else? 
Well, you do the thing itself. If you earn real wisdom, you make yourself useful. To other people in that same domain. So if you're a good carpenter, you can help other people be good carpenters. But you can't extrapolate ah. lessons from your carpentry to talk about the good life, for example. Sure you can. But if you you're not a, imitating, you're ooh, living the good life. But if you live a good life, no, that, no, this is spot on because to give advice, no, this is, this is, um, it's like taking advice from financial advisors who have gone broke, like, <laughs> or have gone bankrupt from following their own advice. Like you wouldn't do that, right? They you have, shouldn't do that. You should not do that. <laughs> I'm sure many people have, but, uh, you should follow the advice of someone who has succeeded in gaining wealth. That's right. right. Yeah. Everybody who writes like, uh a blog article or a newspaper article should have a score when they were wrong. Yeah. No, yeah. Well, this is, or, or it's um, one of um, Nassim Taleb's things is that whenever yeah, you yeah. make a prediction, you should put money on you it. You should have skin in the game. Yes. And so you put that money on, you find a way to trade your opinions and then you only have clout if you've accumulated wealth. If there was a website that gave stock tips and every, yep. every writer had to like show. Full disclosure, I invested in this. Not, not full disclosure, I invested, but say, of all the articles I've written, this here are the I things invested. I invested in, right. and here's my record. Well, the, the if one, their record was down 38%, right. I'd be like, I ain't going to listen to this dope. Which I think is spot on. But the other, the flip version of that is that, so Barron's is a, I think it's a weekly newspaper um, that where they give stock tips. And mm -hmm. so there are two portfolios. One is the do whatever Barron says, and the other one is do the opposite of whatever Barron says. And most of the time, the opposite of Barron's is the one that wins. No like, way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So anyway, That's there's your fun. fun thing for the day. So... Okay, so he says, all right, let's, let's take another way of looking at this. There are three arts concerned with all things. The one that uses, the one that makes, and a third which imitates. For example, a flute, right? Okay. So Sam, a flute maker, and Graham is a flautist. Okay. Right? So Graham, I will make a flute. You will take that flute and you will play it. Flouting all the day. Flouting Flout. all the day. Maybe I make a terrible flute. Mm -hmm. Like one of the keys sticks... One of the notes is off and mm -hmm. it's goofy and you give it back to me and you're like, man, this flute is the worst. You'd be like, what do you know? You don't make flutes. No, that's the thing is like, you do know, oh. you play it. And so I will change my flute making based on you, the professional player who plays the flutes. Sure. I will give it back to you and then you can review. And in that way, we are both improved. Sure. Right? You are using the actual thing. Mm -hmm. I am improving my artistry. Your artistry improves from a good tool. Mm -hmm. But the imitator never gets feedback. He doesn't have to interact with you. He doesn't have to interact with me. What he can the, paint you one time. What would be the imitator of a flute? Well, a painter. Maybe okay. a painter imitates They, they paint a picture of someone playing the flute. Of or a they write a poem about how great it sounded when the flute player played. Exactly. But the thing is, is he is so disconnected. He knows From nothing about either playing or making. And so he is so far disconnected that he is in a brilliant state um, it, there's a little bit of sarcasm here. Like the imitative artist will be a brilliant state of intelligence about his own creations. And he's like, ah, very much the reverse. But he'll go on imitating without knowing what makes a thing good or bad and may be expected, therefore, to imitate only that which appears good to the multitude. Hmm. And he has no knowledge necessarily about that which he is imitating. So Plato gets the shorts and a wad because all these artisans or whatever, what, what, is there, are, they, are they called something? Imitative. Imitators. Yeah. They are all about optics and not about the, the thing, thing. Uh, but not about like actual craft or whatever. Yeah. And then he, he kind of goes into, uh, we're so moving yeah, so into like, like, like the talibs, he, they don't have skin in the game. Yes. Yeah. The interaction of, of the soul. So he has this little example. So when we use our eyes mm -hmm. and we look at something to see which one is bigger, sometimes they're fooled. 
right? Especially if we're looking at something underwater or it's skewed by waves or like distance or have you ever looked at two things and thought one was bigger when it actually turns out they measure exactly the same? Yeah, it was a little optical illusion thing. A little optical illusion. He says, well, there's that faculty, vision. And then there's like the measuring faculty, our rational faculty, where we measure it and we always exceed to the measuring faculty. Okay. We we give up our visual opinion in right. favor of the measurement, right? right. Because gotcha. that's our okay. rational. So you actually take out a ruler and you do it. And then we trust and that. And you actually trust ruler. Yeah. Remember those things where you could like cross your eyes and get really close uh-huh. and the then there'd be like eye. a dolphin in there uh-huh. or something? Yeah. Remember those things with 3D? Magic eye. Magic eye, that's mm-hmm. right. They would have like, they would be frame paintings at the mall. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, those, so the same faculty cannot, uh, let's see. <laughs> So when, when those things are contradictory, there appears a contradiction, right? Same yes. faculty can't have contradic- contrary opinions about the same thing at the same time. So that part of the soul that has an opinion contrary to measure is not the same that has an opinion which is in accordance with measure, hmm. right? So there's part of you that's like, yeah, that thing's bigger. And then there's the other part of you that's like, nah, it's the same. And you always give favor to the rational soul. Gotcha. Um, As one should. Yeah. Right. And so... That's kind of like a vision soul and a math soul, right? There's one that is the perceptive faculty and one that's the rational kind of. And so he says, okay, let's see if this plays out in hearing, right? So is, is, does poetry have the same kind of effect where there will be the perception and mm-hmm. then there will be rather the rational principle and that they're pulling against each other about how a thing should actually be? Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. And so he says, there's a principle of law and reason in him, which, um, okay, so say, say a guy is filled with sorrow from something. Say he loses his kid. He's oh, got a, he's got a cool. big oh loss. Wow. Is that right? the example Plato uses? Or Yeah, well, so let's see. Um, a good man who has a misfortune a bummer. A bummer. to lose his son oh. or anything else which is most dear to him will bear the loss with more equanimity than another. And he says, not necessarily. Hmm. But will we say that he has no sorrow or that he'll, because he can't help sorrowing, he'll, he'll moderate it, which is more true, that he'll have no sorrow or that he'll moderate it. Moderate. Yeah, he'll probably mo- moderate. Is he more likely to struggle at home or in public? Like, will he give in to his sorrow more at, or in, at home or in public? He probably give in more at home because right. he's not in front of everybody. Yeah, because you're sort of ashamed to be seen, seen doing yeah. this. Right. So there is a principle of law and reason which bids him to resist the sorrow as well as a feeling of misfortune, which forces him to indulge his sorrow. Do you see the two things, right? Okay, yeah. There's the force to indulge and the force to resist, right? These come from two opposing principles, right? And so he says, one of them is a good thing. And f- like, you're, su- you're supposed to follow the guidance of the law, right? He says, here's a, here's a quote. It's, he says, the law would say that to be patient under suffering is best and that we should not give way to impatience. There's no knowing whether such things are good or evil, right? Sometimes you have a good loss and it turns out that it's a good thing, right? Perhaps he loses his son in a time of prosperity and the next 10 years are times of incredible loss, hardship, and disease. And he is glad that his son had been in a happy place before going. Yeah, maybe. Right? Depending on what your view of the afterlife is. Sure, sure. He says, also, because no human thing is of serious importance, apparently Plato is just like, whatever, about everything. Right. and grief stands in the way of that which at the moment is most required. He's like, the guy's like, what do you mean most required? Grief is standing in the way of it. He says that we should take counsel about what has happened. And when the dice have been thrown, order our affairs in the way which reason deems best. Not like children who have had a fall, keeping hold of the part struck and wasting time and setting up a howl. So he's like, what we should do is take counsel and figure things out. Not like hold the part that hurts and go, ah, mm-hmm. like yeah. that. Um, 
but always accustoming the soul forthwith to apply a remedy, raising up that which is sickly and fallen, banishing the cry of sorrow by he- sorrow by healing the the by the healing art. Okay. So instead of like indulging in my sorrow like is tempting, the best thing is to take counsel, figure things out, and figure out how to heal that sorrow rather than indulging. Sure. Right? The imitative art would have us indulge the sorrow, right? Hmm. So um, this is kind of like the Boethius, the Boethius charge against the muses. Right. Yeah. The Boethius, the muses are the, 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 yeah, like, or the, the kid who got, you got dumped and he's just like listening to sad, sad music, music in his room all yeah. day. Wants to st- stay sad instead of moving yeah. past it. So go like, I don't know, carpentry or something. Yeah. He says that the <laughs> imitative <pottery>. art <laughs> go doesn't often imitate the calm and wise temperament, partially because it's no fun, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not much to appreciate or be imitated in a, in a public festival. Nobody likes that, mm-hmm. right? Um, his art isn't intended to please or affect the rational principle in the soul. Very mm-hmm. rarely does someone say like, this man has had a great loss. Look how well he is doing. Mm-hmm. Like he has solved his sorrow by right. applying rational principles right. and feeling out, you know, like thinking through his philosophy and doing it well. That doesn't make for a good play, right? Right. Um, mm. So now we kind of put him next to the painter. We have one where his creations I have bet an inferior tried, degree of though. truth. I bet there has been some sort of like stoic play. Someone was like, I'm going to write a play about like, you know, the stoic acceptance about things. And it's just like super boring. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's concerned with the inferior part of the soul is mm-hmm. Plato's point, And that the rational part should be the one that we are into. Mm-hmm. And so we kick this guy out. He's no good for us. Right. It does, it's, mm-hmm. And not only that, but it harms rather than helping. Hmm. And he goes on to say, like, you at a play will feel very good in, like, feeling sad for somebody who's had so great a loss, Mm -hmm. right? And you do that in public. Like, yeah, yeah, somebody who's had trouble. And then you'll feel more okay with shopping around your sorrows for yourself, Hmm. right? If you practice it in public, you will practice it at home. So maybe there are, like, crude jokes that you wouldn't be willing to make in public. But then you go see a movie about it and you see somebody else doing it in public and then now you're like oh all right i can maybe go do that at home and i'll I'll play the fool right so basically it trains you that these affectations are okay Hmm. because we're showing we're shopping them around in public Mm -hmm. and they're not okay that's interesting the same is to be said of lust and anger and all the other affections desire pain and pleasure which are held to be inseparable from every action in all of them poetry feeds and waters the passions instead of drying them up she lets them rule, although they ought to be controlled, if mankind are ever to increase happiness and virtue. So Plato would not be down with Netflix. No. no. Actually, I think he would be directly... He says that that's probably one of the worst things for our country is Netflix. Hmm. Because it... Puts for... Creates the, you... you sort of, it's creating sentimentality? Is that what you're it's, Yeah, its only point is to incite your lusts, desires, sorrows, frustrations. It is it is playing to the basis nature of you. How many Netflix shows have you seen where it's like, this person has suffered a sorrow, but here's the truth of the matter, right? Yeah. No one can say whether huh. this is true or good. Here's their real situation. Here's how they dealt with it well, and look how fine they are doing. Yeah. Like that, right. th- that just doesn't happen. And so instead of training the public to be people who can deal with their sorrows and their emotions well, it trains the public to give in and to... Like, okay. not only perhaps indulge themselves, but be okay with marting that to everybody else in the public sphere. Okay, so I can see how Plato would not like that, where you had some sort of Netflix show about somebody dealing with their sorrow, and they had some sort of, you know, um, 
milk toast lame moral at the end where you just gotta like live mm. life and love people and it has some sort of like moral believe that in d- yourself. believe in yourself yeah. and do your best you know it just has some sort of thing i could see how plato would be like this is that right but what would plato say about a book that's also doing something similar but to a greater quality like the the, the comedy yeah. Ooh. Or even, yeah. Uh, listener, I don't know if you, it's raining and thunderstorming here right now. So also when we built the our divine st- comedy, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like there's Dante also doing something that is training the reader of how to deal with their own problems, problems through this text. But, but I would contend that his most popular work is the one that incites the passions the most. We are most excited to hear about the, the lusts yeah. of, uh, of Francesca and Paolo. That's true. We want to hear or about the, the silly sure demons are. who are farting. We want to hear <laughs> about the sick guys who fight each other and punch each other in the tummy. Yeah. We want to hear about all these horrible things. How many people are what's, like... What's medieval Italian for tummy? Tummy. But even... Belly. Belly. <laughs> but even Plato, when we built our city earlier, said that the warriors still get... Music, yeah, they? but the music is only that which, and, and he actually talks about line. how we are line. we yeah. are allowed to have okay praise songs of the gods yes. and those things that encourage us to to virtue. And yes. for them, it was like militant drums, all in the happy mode, none of them in minor key, all saying what great, like what the great sure. virtue of courage. I'm just trying to I'm trying to see if this nuance is correct. Of is he saying all poetry and all music and all art is bad, or is he saying? Uh, most of it is bad. We need a couple, like, again, we need like two good songs. He's saying imitative, imitative poetry is bad, right? That poetry that like shops the lives of good men. Like we could read a biography of Roosevelt, see how that goes. He's not saying that that's a bad thing. Mm. Looking at the real lives of real men and learning how to imitate their virtue or avoid their vice is good. So the comedy would be exempt from that criticism because at least as far as Dante is concerned, Dante is describing what is as opposed to... But that's like, the thing. Like Homer a biography. was sort of describing what is, I yeah. guess. But Dante was not. Like, that never happened. <laughs> he, he didn't actually go to hell. I guess we don't know. Uh, but he, he probably had some type of midlife crisis. Like, is that what you mean when you say, Graham? Are you saying that the ghost of Virgil did not take Dante all the way through hell? Yes, I am. That uh, is what I'm saying. Through purgatory, too, please. And into heaven for a while? Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, Beatrice, but... Um, are you? Is that what you're trying to say, Graham? Of that there is a real aspect to it of Dante's working out his stuff... Like, yeah, I guess I just don't, I'm just trying to understand why that is like Dante is not a real voyager to the underworld. He's just depicting it in a poem. You know what you see? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because there is art that is helpful. There's art that helps us figure things out or it shows us the right way to respond in certain situations. Yeah. But there is also a lot of bad art. And I guess mm-hmm. I guess that's what I'm trying to figure out if that's what Plato is trying to. What is he? What is he actually against? But here? I can see how, yeah, something like Netflix would would uh, scandalize Plato. Sure. And to creating sentimentality, Agent, you've taught. We both teach that from um, that. Uh, it's not. It's, I think it's Stone and Bell's book. Mm-hmm. There's one section where they talk about sentimentality. Mistakes in tone. Yeah, mm-hmm. mistakes in tone. But did you catch catch the the point that uh, the author? I think I guess it's Stone. Um, says that the s- sentimental people are often like more vicious people interesting um because they so he he gives an example of a woman watching a movie with some sort of sentimental romance and also like 
the kid next to her hating the movie and fidgeting and her like barking at the kid and then going back to the movie mm, and crying. Wow. There's some sort of like detachment from real emotion that comes from too much, too much sort of um, manufactured emotion with sentiment that stories bring. So anyway, it's just kind of yeah. an interesting, I haven't really sort of like yeah. fit that into a working theory yet, but yeah. um, it seems like Plato's kind of, he's not alluding to the viciousness of sentimentality, but he's definitely alluding to the fact that these derivative arts can sort of produce a... Um, well, they're just inciting the passionate soul rather yeah. than yes. helping the rational soul to rule the, pas- rule the mm-hmm. passions. Like, mm-hmm. simply said, they are trying to delete the justice of the person. Yeah. Yeah. They are trying to make your body miss, like, disorganized. Yeah. Um, and I, how much time do I have left? 20 more minutes. 20 more minutes? Okay. I don't know if we have enough time to discuss if we should actually be teaching Homer. Um, <laughs> we can talk between episodes. Do you want to do that? Sure. Uh, or, I mean, like, the listener can draw their own conclusions, right? Yep. He makes an argument against these things. I would say that perhaps they're an inoculation. Like, I, I don't think mm-hmm. he gives enough credit to the people who are viewing, mm-hmm. right? But I think what's required is a good education in philosophy beforehand. And well, then when I can see the vices in others... How <laughs> is his me. creation of the city exempt from his criticism of derivatives? Yep. So that city doesn't actually exist. That city doesn't actually exist. You it's never built a city. And <laughs> he himself has never ruled one, and he's yeah. never been a warrior. So it's just, and, yeah. But I think he would say, like, he is perhaps well-organized as a person, and so what, that's what he's trying to... Mm-hmm. He is a just man, so he's writing about being about just. justice. And yep. he had followers. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So if, <laughs> that's interesting. That, again, I asked the question last time. Like, that's interesting. I got followers. That, that, I got 300 followers. Right, sure. Uh, that that's the thing that distinguishes you. Like, if Socrates had bad followers, you know what I mean? Yeah. Does that actually add credibility? That's a but that's the thing. Is like he had great followers. He made Aristotle and oh sure. Like but, he he succeeded in drawing people to his wisdom. So sure. when he writes about wisdom, he's not screwing around. He's sure. the wisdom maker. He's not an imitator. Sure. And I'm not talking about mm. Aristotle. I'm talking about when he's when he's accused of corrupting the youth. Like these are people who would have been well, Socrates. Hi. Oh, are we talking? Are we talking about? Yes, are we talking about? I was talking about Plato. Socrates is. Oh, sorry, just because Socrates is the character. Sorry, yeah, okay. uh, sorry, but people who would have been like high, uh, uh, high-positioned, well-off government officials in Athens, like reject all of that to go follow Socrates. Anyway, yeah, I don't know if that speaks to his credit or against. Can you imagine people who are set up for a life of wealth and power rejecting it to like go after truth? Oh my word, that's just. I can't even imagine what that would look like. How hor- horrific! Yeah, terrible. Yeah. Didn't Snoop Dogg kind of do that? Really? I, I guess <laughs> very briefly. Sure. Snoop Lion. Uh, the funny thing is that he actually leaves room for poetry to make a defense. He's oh, like, cool. look, she's real charming. I get it. And Gla- Glaucon's like, yeah, I'm totally charmed by poetry. And he's like, if she can make a good defense, then hey, we won't say no, right? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. We'll we'll rock and roll and we'll let her back in, but only if she can defend herself well. And that's where the turn happens. So hmm. that's the end of part one. Okay. It's talking about why poetry is the, the dumps. The part two is the immortal soul and why being just is good. So he starts with the defense of the immortal soul. He says, okay, for everything, there is an evil quality and a good quality. The evil quality is, sorry, I know I'm moving kind of fast, audience. I apologize. The evil quality is that thing which destroys. So that which destroys corn is evil for the corn. Like Like uh, grasshoppers. Corn disease. Yeah, grasshoppers are the evil. Corn disease. Corn diseases, and it destroys it internally, right? talking about the band or the crop? (laughs) Corn, I would never talk about corn being a disease. (laughs) You like corn? Wait, really? Uh, the band? Yeah, that's what I'm asking. They're kind of awesome. Okay. I mean, I'm not sure. I've, Different I'm not strokes. a fan of their bass player, but okay. Um, I don't know. I kind of like them. I just remember I stayed away from the guys that like corn in high school. <laughs> <laughs> they were honestly very nice people. <laughs> because you were one of them? Is that? No, I, I hung out with them. Good. They uh, they listened to a lot of corn, but I think it, it's like a, it milded the beast. They're like also they the were, system of the down. This is also yeah. true. Yeah. Also. also a great band. Yeah. Um, 
Anyway, he says that thing which destroys it is the evil of that thing, right? Okay. But the evil of the soul, injustice, vice, doesn't destroy the soul. Interesting. And if it can't be destroyed from internally, it certainly can't be destroyed externally, right? The, the evil mm. of the body is disease. But the thing is, is like you can get disease from food. I can eat tainted food and then that will turn into an evil of the body, oh, right? Oh. Internal destruction. Tainted right. food. That's, thank you. Oh, bow, bow. Tainted. And or say like... Uh, get the runs. <laughs> and so he says like even that which is external because it cannot fer- confer like... Like say somebody stabs me. They're not conferring injustice into my soul. They're not giving an evil of the soul. Yeah, yeah. It's being sort of... It can't be really destroyed from without. And I think that's the premise I take issue with. This I'll is like what Obi-Wan you. says to Vader right before he goes. Yeah. He says, <laughs> it is unreasonable to suppose that anything can perish from without through affection of external evil, okay. which could not be destroyed from within by a corruption of its own. So I cannot say that like something could get destroyed from without if it can't even get destroyed from within. Mm-hmm. And injustice certainly doesn't destroy it. In fact, injustice usually seems to keep in unjust people alive, right? Like yeah. if I'm a murderer, murdering gotcha. others is going to keep me going. Right. So, and it doesn't do good things for you. And so he says the soul therefore is probably immortal, right? It's not dissolved by um, merely external evils and it's certainly not dissolved by internal evils. So, But the, the more people you kill, forever. don't you become like a worse person on the inside? Become like a jerk? And yeah, but the soul isn't destroyed. It's still there. But it's just, it but just gets it? worse. So it's sick. Yeah, it's, it's sick and but terrible. But it can't die can't die and he says what we see as the soul is kind of like and he compares it to a like a sea god he's like our imagine i think the sea god's name is glaucon something i forget but he says it's kind of like that guy how he's been buffeted by the sea so often and totally covered in seashells and seaweed and sand and stuff we don't know what he really looks like he looks disgusting (laughs) right that's the same situation the soul is in and if we could see it for its truth, then we could see it at its best, which is it's Merman. Love. <laughs> Merman. <laughs> oh, man. We could see its love for wisdom, right? And then he says, okay, now that we've sort of won our argument, right? The yeah. just man. Is the, <laughs> wow. Okay. We did it. The just man is the better man. Okay. Let's enumerate the benefits that aren't. That, that we sort of stripped from it in the very beginning. He refers back mm. to those first couple chapters where, okay. remember their supposition that we take away the reputation of the just man, yep, right? right? See if it's good to be just just without the reputation that comes. And he's right. like, okay, now that we've established that it is, let's restore all the things that we took away in supposition, the good reputation that comes for it, the good monetary gains, the good, like all the things that for sake of argument, we sort of took away from the just man. Because mm-hmm. it's true. The gods love the just man. And they make everything work out for the good. You'll be popular. People will love you, right? You'll have success in business. You'll have great kids. All of these things beyond the internal good that comes from being just are things that usually accompany justice. And then, but that's the thing is the soul is immortal. Mm -hmm. The just soul doesn't end with death. It goes into the afterlife. And then he paints this awesome picture of the afterlife. And by means of a story, this is totally different than what we've been doing. Like he's been arguing up until now, the argument about the eternal soul, as far as I can tell, is the last one. Hmm. After that, he tells a story of the afterlife. Uh, Crowned and laureled, good men get crowns. Okay. So he says, let me tell you the story of a fella named Ur. Okay. E-R. Fella named Ur, the son of Arminius, a Pamphlion. He was Pamphlion. He got killed in battle. And 10 days afterward, when they took up all the bodies, his was found unaffected by decay. Looked fine. They took him 
and they stuck him on the funeral pyre two days later. Still looked okay. But I, I, I guess, I don't know what the logic was there for everybody right. else. They're like, Might looks as well. dead. Right. Probably fine. Like, mm-hmm. we could probably burn this guy, right? These, but he hasn't decayed. He hasn't decayed, but should be fine. Right. I wonder if they he wasn't a in a coma. Yeah, like, like, go ahead and uh, check his breathing. Hold the mirror up to yeah, the mouth, yeah, guys. Yeah. Make an effort. But apparently... Maybe he was a jerk and people didn't like him because they're like, let's burn this stinker. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they had him on the funeral pyre and he popped up. Right. And he said, guys, let me tell you what it was like in the other world. Okay. Okay. So when I, when I died 12 days ago, this was a 12 day journey. Hmm. He said, I found myself in like this big field and there were judges in sort of a, an intermediate space and then two openings into heaven and two openings into the earth. Like judges just in the field? Yeah, the judges. And they're basically telling you where you go. This is a very heaven-hell kind of thing. And if you did good in your life, then you make, you go up to the heavens, Mm -hmm. and you spend your a a thousand years being rewarded. He said the lifespan is about a hundred years, right? Men men can live about a hundred years. And so whatever you did that was good, you received the benefits a hundred times, like 10 times over. Hmm. So if I was really nice to somebody over the next 10 lifetimes, I would get that 10 times, right? So everything I did, I suffered 10x returns. The same was true of hell. If I was a horrible person, then I would be tossed into hell to suffer all of those things returned on me 10 times over. And that's what's been happening to these people for a thousand years. So they go up for a thousand years and then they come back and they hang out in the little trail again, right? In the field? In the field. Okay. And so... But there's, that's the thing is some of the guys were so bad that when they came out of hell and then expected to like ascend into heaven and take another trip or mm-hmm. go back to life or whatever, they go back. The, the mouth of heaven basically roars and says, no, they will never enter here. Mm-hmm. And then I kid you not, fiery devils huh. come, it says, uh, whenever any of these incurable sinners or someone who had not been sufficiently punished tried to ascend. Then wild men of fiery aspect who were standing by and heard the sound seized and carried them off, threw them down, flayed them with scourges, and dragged them along the road at the side, Damn. carting them on thorns like wool, and declaring to the passerby that what were their crimes and what they were being taken away to be cast into hell. These guys did not get out. Rough. That's that bad. stinks. Yeah, seriously. So, after eight days of like hanging out, so you're in the meadow. If uh, When the spirits which were in the meadow had tarried seven days, on the eighth day they were obliged to proceed on their journey. And after four days of journey, you came to a place where they could see above a line of light straight as a column. And so this is where it gets a little weird. I think what they're doing is painting a picture of the universe as the spheres. Sure. This is where it gets weird? Okay. It gets way weirder. Okay, good. And so there's like a giant chain that hooks into a series of concentric bowls. Uh-huh. I... I Okay. Like a rain chain. Yeah, like a, like, yeah, kind of like a big rain chain. They call them whorls. W-H-O-R-L. Some whorls. 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 And there's eight of them. Okay. And I think that's the spheres, as far as I can tell. And that big chain that hooks from the heavens into those whorls spins, and it spins all of these whorly bowls. Yeah. Right. Right? And, uh, and it goes into great detail about these whorls, and it's basically a big spindle, and everything spins around it. Okay. So... The first and outermost whorl has the rim broadest, and the seven inner whorls are narrower in the following proportions. The sixth is next to the fifth in size. It goes into great detail. We don't need to go there. But the largest, or fixed stars, is spangled. And the seventh, the sun, is brightest. The eighth, or moon, color. So it goes on to talk about the different 
spheres. So the whorls sound like the medieval spheres. I think so, except they're in the wrong order, which yeah, is yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't really understand it, but it says... Well, he was only there 12 days. <laughs> yeah, he's, he got to pick <laughs> it up you, Is that the moon? And they're like, sure. <laughs> yeah, 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 whatever. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going back at the end of the week. So they turn on the knees of necessity, right? And on the upper surface of each circle is a siren who goes around with them, humming a single tone or note, right? I think this would be the, the rhythm or song of the spheres, right. right? So each one has an intelligence, spins with the sphere and kind of goes, hmm, <laughs> uh-huh. like as they go past. Right. And on them are, three of them are the fates, right? Lachesis, singing of the past, Clotho, the present, and Atropos, the future. And what they do, they arrive and they have to go see Lachesis. But first they stop at a prophet who arranges them in order and they all kind of shake lots. And then before them are laid brand new lives to choose from. Interesting. Right? Wow. And they can sort of look at them. There's all kinds of things. You could be a bird. You could be a duck. You could be like a cat. Oh, sweet. You could turn into a woman if you want. You could try something else. You could, you know, whatever you choose. And by lots, you get first choice or last choice. Right? There you go. <laughs> but she says, let the wise not be hasty. And choose well. And after you choose your life, you get your genius, which is your intended attendant spirit. Uh-huh. And then you're ushered off. And I'll talk about what happens right after that. So she warns them. But the thing is, is your vice or virtue in the past will help determine how you make that decision. Mm. Yeah. So the first guy that chooses in this little parable. It'll help you make the decision or it's like the category of things you can pick from. No, no, it's it like helps you make the decision. beetle and like, uh, oh, okay. No, so for example, the first guy who chooses is a tyrant. And he immediately chooses again, to be, or like he's a right. jerk. Yeah. yeah, killed his friends. And he immediately chooses uh, the life of a tyrant because it's it like, looks like, great. He's it trying that jerk thing all over. He right. gets all these pleasures. He everyone has to listen to him. But he was hasty, and he didn't realize that he chose the life where he actually has to eat his kids. Aww. And he's like, oh no! Wow. And he starts blaming everybody, like chance and the gods. And but that's the thing that's right, is, like Jesus had just said, like you pick, don't be, be hasty, hasty, you right. idiots. And so everyone else chooses, and it actually talks about some famous people that choose. Ooh. So here's kind of, this is a kind of a fun list. Uh, let's see, make his soul more just, last comer, have it only, no philosophy. So Orpheus chooses, I don't know who Orpheus is, but he chooses a life of the swan because he didn't like women. Um, I don't know why swans are against women, okay. I don't know. Apparently they hate each other. The And then we have, this was the 20th lot, the person who got to chose 20th, and this was Ajax. Hmm. And he chose to be a lion because he remembered the injustice of man that had been done to him uh. at the choosing of Achilles' arms. I want to be a hammer! <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm going to break stuff and I don't want to be a people. <laughs> Same is true of Agamemnon. He chose an eagle because he hated human nature <laughs> by reason of his sufferings. <laughs> Thersites, the jester, mm-hmm. decided to be a monkey because he's a bit <laughs> yeah, of a goof. That's yeah. pretty good. Uh, Odysseus, and he was last, having yet to make the choice, chose, and he looked and he's like, I just want a life of a quiet man with no cares, like Mm. private, no toils. I just want a quiet life. And he went and he looked and lo and behold, there it was. No one else had the wisdom to choose an unimportant life of a quiet man with no cares. And it's what he would have chosen first, just because that was the wisdom that drove his decision. And then you all take it to Lachesis and then... uh, you kind of get your genius. It leads to your souls to Clotho. And then she attaches them to a sphere and then figures out your destiny. And then you go to Atropos who spins the threads and makes them irreversible. And then you pass through the throne of necessity. You march onto the plane of forgetfulness, which hmm. is apparently a barren waste with nothing there. And it's terrible. And then you encamp by the river of unmindfulness. So how you, did Ur remember all this? 
Oh yeah. He so it gets to it. Okay. Um, each one drinks from this river and forgets oh, the, river the whole it? thing. Yeah. Basically, you you forget everything you knew. And the middle of the night, there's a thunderstorm and an earthquake, and you are driven upward like a shooting star, and you're back in the earth, right? Mm. And you've forgotten everything that's happened. You've forgotten your choice, and you are destined to grow and learn and change. Mm. And maybe choose a new life and maybe choose a different life on your next cycle. Because Plato maintains that nothing eternal is ever so destroyed. So this is an argument of yeah, the, the, the soul continuing. And not only that, right. but souls are never made from the, like, the amount, the amount of souls never increases or diminishes. Because then mortal things will be making immortal things. And that doesn't make any sense, at least to Plato. But uh, Ur, our guy, wasn't compelled to drink. And he couldn't exactly say how he found himself lying on the funeral pyre. He's like, oh. I didn't do the drinking. I didn't do the thing they did. But now I'm here. And that's my story. Wow. And here is the very last bit of Plato, chapter 10. We made it to you. Nailed it. Wherefore, uh, let's see. And thus, Glaucon, the tale has been saved and has not perished and will save us if we are obedient to the word spoken. And we shall pass safely over the river of forgetfulness, forgetfulness, Hmm. and our soul will not be defiled. Wherefore, my counsel is that we hold fast ever to the heavenly way and follow after justice and virtue always, considering that the soul is immortal and able to endure every sort of good and every sort of evil. Thus shall we live, dear to one another and to the gods, both while remaining here and when, like conquerors in the games who go round to gather gifts, we receive our reward. And it shall be well with us, both in this life and in the pilgrimage of a thousand years, which we have been describing. Mm. That's the end. So maybe you could have been any, maybe you were Socrates. And then Socrates chose the life of a banker turned... Baker turned educator. Turned educator. He's like, I want to be rich first, and then I want to teach kids. (laughs) (laughs) No cares. (laughs) That's interesting. So there you go. The the two parts, and the last part is the story about the eternal soul and the thousand-year journey. Hmm. So what's justice? (laughs) Justice is the... True organization of the inner self. Gotcha. Uh, and that same outward organization of the state, whereas the it's it's ruled and directed by those most capable to rule and direct it. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone is doing their part and keeping their nose clean and out of everybody else's business. Mm. And the same is true in the soul. You mm-hmm. keep your passions at the bottom and you enforce their movement with your will, right? And that's kind of illustrated by, he talked about that guy who lost his kid and he's like, okay, he has two options to sort of like indulge in his mourning or to get after it and fix the problem mm-hmm. and apply the healing art to his soul and move on. Mm. That's good. Mm. Yeah. I like that. Interesting. Guys, I, feel like, I feel like we need to have like a Play-Doh wrap-up one. I mean, it's just like you were saying, there's other things to talk about. Yeah, just so with, much. With the teaching of, of, of stories and that kind of, you know, does f- go against the idea that the the study of humanities at some points liber at for some at some level or the argument is that it, there's a liberating factor that is making the human soul more free but Plato's saying that it's it's um it's making you more sentimental or it's 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 not actually giving wisdom or, or wisdom or benefit to the him soul. and Boethius seem to agree yeah that's interesting yeah mm-hmm. uh, I think that's interesting um we we have to wrap up here and. I, I do want to give a preview for next week. I know I've still got Genghis Khan on the list. It's still it's in a Couple binder weeks. sitting at home. But uh, I I'm working on the Poetic Eddas, which is the source for all of the old Norse myths. Can and you bring it, some mead? I can totally bring <laughs> mead. Oh, I actually yeah. found a great mead source. Um, <laughs> the mead floweth, Graham. The mead flow. What's a mead uh, source? Because it's not 
Clearly, well, you're not buying it from the store, right? No, I'm like, oh, there's okay, actually sorry. apparently a place in Austin that now makes a really Bursts good mead. Fourth from the north. That's what I was gonna say. Well, yeah, if mead can be said so. to be really good, I've never had a good mead. It's yeah. always really gross. Yeah, it's never very. Sweet. I've never had mead. It's honey. It's honey booze. But it's like the most heavy metal set of myths I've ever heard mm. in oh, my yeah. entire life. It's fantastic. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Anything roll. else before we wrap up? I'm good. All right. This has been classical stuff. You should know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at the guys at classicalstuff.net. You can find us on Twitter at classical stuff. C L S S C A L stuff. You can find us on Patreon, patreoncom slash classical. Oh, stuff. we got to add that to our extra. Oh, ex- ex- yeah. Is outro? it outro? Outro. Extra. Extra. <laughs> The Isn't that a baseball team? Are pretty extra. <laughs> the Montreal Extro. I think there's a very bad movie that's called Extro as well. So oh. there's that. Uh, Is that like where? I think it's, it's about really, robots. He's really extra. No, I think it's about robots. I'm extra. <laughs> yep, nailed it. All right, uh, that has been it for us. Uh, as always, it is Graham, AJ, and Thomas. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye bye. Bye bye.